Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Amen? Why don't we try that right now? Rejoice. Lord, I love you and praise you and magnify you. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Sermons come lots of different ways. Usually it's a clear impression of the Holy Ghost. I try to practice prayer and pondering and hearing the voice of the Lord. And sometimes you just have to wait until He speaks. It's always nice when the Lord gives you clear direction. As a pastor and spiritual leader, you can address known situations in churches. Paul did that. He said, it's been declared unto me about you in the Corinthian church. And I hear that there are divisions among you. And it is commonly reported. And he addressed those things that uh, needed to be taken care of in the church. And all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So I believe that you know leaders have the, the, the privilege and responsibility to feed and lead and all of that. But with saying that, I wanted to say that we, because we have a lot of teachers and preachers in this congregation and some perhaps watching online, I believe in hearing the voice of God. Monday morning I was in my office working on some administrative matters and I'd finished a project and was kind of pondering this service tonight and the Lord as He does so generously to me and I'm grateful every time just spoke this verse into my spirit. Rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. I wasn't sure whether there was another worship message for tonight or not. But on Monday morning, I knew that there was. And then as I started thinking about that, our choir sang on Sunday, wait a minute, one more time, I think I'll say it again. That's sort of what Paul said to the Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord. Wait a minute, one more time, I think I'll say it again. Rejoice in the Lord always. In the King James, always. And again, I say, rejoice. Paul was dictating this epistle, this letter, from prison to Epaphroditus. And this is one of those prison epistles. It's one of the most personal letters of Paul to a church much beloved by him. This church that he had founded at Philippi when The vision came to him, come over into Macedonia and help us. But Paul, in his imprisonment, felt to speak a word of encouragement to these Philippian Christians who had courageously and fearlessly put up with seasons of persecution. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice in the book of Philippians, the theme of joy and rejoicing is significant. In four short chapters, 104 verses, Paul uses the word joy six times and he uses the word rejoice ten times. 
16 times in 104 verses, the Philippians heard about joy. I make requests with joy and for the furtherance of your joy and faith. Fulfill ye my joy and I joy and rejoice for you all. And you cause me to joy and rejoice. And you, he said, are my joy and my crown. He told them to rejoice in chapter 1. He starts the psalm like that, that I rejoice and I will rejoice. And that I may rejoice in the day of the Lord. I joy and rejoice with you all and you can rejoice with me. I rejoice that you can be less sorrowful and we rejoice in the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 1, verse 3. Chapter 4 is the last time it is used in the book in this last chapter. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. This was a letter where there was an economy of words. It is a short epistle. So for Paul to say rejoice or be joyful or to have joy this many times means that they obviously needed it because this is a church that has cared for him and that uh, he has cared for deeply. The Philippian Christians were part of the churches of Macedonia, three churches primarily. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul wrote of them as a testimony of sacrificial giving in hard times. Paul said that how then in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Tonight I want to just focus on the condition that the Macedonian churches were suffering under a great trial of affliction and deep poverty. Philippi, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea for sure. And here is Paul, Nero's prisoner, who can shout from the prison with joy and triumph to other godly people who are going through times of persecution, difficulty, and trial in their life. And in spite of his own persecution, imprisonment, comes this shining epistle of joy and hope to these precious saints of God. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Now there are a lot of things that bear repeating. And repetition is important to instruction. In my baby dedication a couple Sundays ago... I talked about the importance of repeating over and over and over. It strengthens those neurological pathways in the brain. And repetition is very important. But I want to show you what Paul didn't repeat just out of chapter 4. Stand fast in the Lord. That's pretty important. In the month of May, verse 3, Help those women who labored with me in the gospel. In Atlanta West, the month of May, brother... Jury has told us that this is a month to emphasize the strength of the women in our church and honor them. Thank you, Brother Jury. The ladies took full advantage of that on Sunday. And here I am again giving you a verse of Scripture for all the ladies on Team Pink for Sheaves for Christ. Paul, I was wondering where you were, but anyway. You're trying not to be unspiritual, I know. Philippians 4 and 3 He says, help those women who labored with me in the gospel, but he doesn't repeat it. Lydia, the seller of purple, 
probably one of them. Let your moderation be known unto all men. Be a forbearing people. He told them a paraphrase, don't worry about anything but pray about everything. But he doesn't repeat it. And he tells them the peace of God which passes understanding shall keep your heart and mind. But he doesn't repeat it. He gives in verse 8, finally brethren, whatsoever things are honest, just, pure, all of that famous verse. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me is in chapter 4. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus is in chapter 4 of Philippians. You ought to go home and read it. I read through the book again this morning just to refresh it in my mind. It will not take you long. Paul said some very powerful things in Philippians chapter 4. But the one thing he wanted to stick in their mind was rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Because this joy is something you have to remind yourself of. I have primarily spent this month teaching and preaching on worship and praise. But I can tell you that if we're not careful, it won't be long when the joy and rejoicing will slip away from us. So I'm here to remind you to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You see, rejoicing drives your determination and supports your spiritual stability. Joy is a component of the peace of God. Joy inspires your faith in God for His provision and strength that He will supply all your need according to His riches in glory. This repetition is because joy and rejoicing doesn't stick in the human spirit very easily. Complaining, griping, feeling sorry for ourselves, feeling lonely, feeling left out, feeling down and out, That is easy for the human spirit. But rejoicing and being joyful is something you have to remind yourself of. I want to repeat what Sister Nona Freeman said. That before this experience in 1973, I preached about this Sunday if you were not here. She said, I was inclined to be negative. But this experience of God telling me, if you will thank me, there will be victory. She said that changed me. That gave me hope that if Nona Freeman could be changed as an older adult, that I could be changed by an experience with God. And I want to encourage you to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I wanted to emphasize the words rejoice what over what in the Lord who never changes in spite of circumstances and rejoice in the Lord always no matter what is going on in your life rejoice in the Lord always and again Paul said I said or I will say some versions say I will say rejoice Now, I've had it in my mind to talk a little bit about the forms of worship in the Bible. To most of you in a midweek audience, you would know this, so this may be a refresher course. We already know that a lot of 
Hebrew words are lost in transition. Maybe the fullness of the meaning that we get praise and there is a depth to our praise. So there are a few Hebrew words that speak about our worship to God that I want to just review tonight or go over if you've never heard them. One is Barak, and I don't have a very good Hebrew accent. But this word means to kneel, to bless, to adore with bended knee. In reference to God, it means to endue with power for success, prosperity, or long life. It is to bless the Lord and to reverence Him. It really means to worship God from a depth that is bowed down and blessing the Lord. In Psalm 103, David used this word like this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. The next Hebrew word I want to use is Hallel. We talked about this in the Hallelujahs. But if you'll remember that Hallel means to shout, to cry aloud, to clamorously boast, maybe to get a little beside yourself or foolish. It can be to shout for joy when it is translated and to be deeply thankful. The howlels of praise are very important. Psalm 148 and 1, Praise you the Lord. Praise you the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise you Him, all His angels. Praise you Him, all His hosts. Praise you Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you stars of light. Praise Him, you heavens of heavens and you waters that be above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord for He commanded and they were created. We want to remember that God is to be praised with our hallelujahs and we are to be excited and beside ourselves and get a little crazy when we praise Him. Amen. Gadal. Hebrew word that in the context would be to magnify. It's an important word used in poetry in the Hebrew. To cause to become great. And it calls the worshiper to ascribe greatness to the Lord. Now, you or I cannot diminish God, nor can we magnify Him literally. He is great and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. His ways are past finding out. He said, I am God, and I I am the Lord, and I change not. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I cannot make him bigger than he is in reality, but by magnifying him, I magnify him in my own understanding. So I believe that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I ask or think according to the power that worketh in me. Psalm 34, 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Magnify the Lord to God dial to make the Lord bigger in your eyes and ascribe to Him the power that there is nothing too hard for our God. Amen. It's legal to praise God like that. Two Hebrew words, the mar and sure. And these words mean to make music to God. A zimra is a song or music. A zamir means to sing. 
And a miznor is a psalm. A sure, or we would say sheer, means basically a song. And it carries with it the more specific meaning of vocal music. The rabbis explained that a mizmor was a psalm with instrumental accompaniment, while a sure was or a sheer mizmor was a choral group. The making of music can be with voices or instruments. It can be singing or not. But this is the way we praise the Lord. In Psalm 104, I will sing or shear unto the Lord. As long as I live, I will sing praise, zamar, to the Lord while I have my being. So we sing and we play instruments and we praise the Lord from the depth of our soul. Amen? Because we remember to rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. The Hebrew word yada. Probably the most significant praise word. It refers to prayer and praise in the Bible. And its meaning lies at the heart of biblical worship. It means to throw or to cast. I didn't think about this when I was preparing. But in Revelation we see them casting their crowns at His feet. Amen. In the biblical context it is a declaration or a confession of who God is. And what he does. It is proclaiming or confessing God's attributes with certainty. And making sure that we praise God according to his excellent greatness. So this is a part of our worship to the Lord. Psalm 106.1 Praise you the Lord. Oh give thanks unto the Lord. For he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. So when we praise God... We ascribe glory to Him. We praise Him with Barak to adore Him on bended knee. We praise Him with Hallel to cry aloud or shout. We praise Him with Gadal to magnify the Lord. With Zamar or Shear to make music or melody unto the Lord. And we praise Him with Yadav to throw or cast this down before the Lord, whether it's confessing our sins or confessing the greatness of the Lord. So I wanted to just kind of review a little bit of that for you tonight. Because when we say rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, it is a reminder of the power of worship in the presence of the Lord, and especially in corporate worship. Now, there are lots of ways we praise God. Uh, I remember back in the day, When the Bible says, with an instrument of ten ten strings, somebody said, that's like your hands clapping. I don't really think that was what was meant by an instrument of ten strings. But it works for me if I don't have an instrument or can't play one or you'd rather not hear me play one. Though I could hack around a little bit. The Bible said in Romans, the Apostle Paul, that we are to take the instruments of our body, the parts of our body, and we are to use them as instruments under the glory of God. In the same way that we serve the devil with the parts of our body, now we serve God. So I want to go through what the Bible says about how we praise the Lord with our body, not the keyboard or the drums, 
that's important as well. But we praise the Lord by talking. Amen? Psalm 71. My tongue also, also shall talk of thy righteousness all the day long. Psalm 77, 12. I will meditate also of thy work and talk of thy doings. Psalm 119, 27. Make me to understand the way of thy precepts, so shall I talk of thy wondrous works. Amen. So it's okay, and we should talk about the Lord. Not only that, though, it is all right to shout with your voice. Psalm 47, 1. Oh, clap your hands, all you people, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Now, I know that that's become kind of a cliche using the pulpit to get people to worship, but it's biblical and it's a mandate. Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. There's a very interesting thing. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross. When he says the words, the Bible said he cried with a loud voice, it is finished. The, the word that from the Greek is megaphone or like a megaphone. Here's Jesus, he's thirsty, he's dying, he's breathing his last breath. But the last words, some of his last words of the seven sayings on the cross is it is finished. Probably after that into my hands I commend my spirit. Thy hands I commend my spirit. But on the cross it is not like it is finished. Because in the original language it is a shout of triumph. Because in that moment God's great plan before the foundation of the world was accomplished with the shedding of blood and the death of Jesus Christ. So while the devil seeking it is finished, Jesus is saying, oh no, it is finished. Amen. So when the devil thinks he's got you pinned against the ropes and that he's got your back against the wall and he might think it's over, you need to shout unto God with a voice of triumph, with a megaphone and say, God has got this under control. Amen. Calvary is a finished work. Second Chronicles 20. Children of the Levites, the Kohathites, and the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. Luke 19, when they brought Jesus, what we call the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the week of His crucifixion. And people spread garments in the way and branches in the way and waved palm branches and they rejoiced and praised God with a loud voice. Amen. Don't you remember the blind man that said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And the people tried to quiet him down. And in this case, when the people said to be quiet, Jesus said if they would hold their peace, the rocks would immediately cry out. He expects His people to get emotional and excited about praising Him, to talk about it and to shout with our voice, I love you, Lord. To kind of say rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Revelation 5. Angels around the throne, the beasts, elders. 10,000 times 10,000, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive 
power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. But it was not a whisper around the throne. It was a loud voice. We can talk, we can shout, we can sing with our voices. Psalm 47, 16, praises to God. Sing praises, sing praises unto our King. Sing praises. Psalm 66, 4. All the earth shall worship thee and shall sing unto thee. They shall sing to thy name. Matthew 26, the night in which he was betrayed. The Bible said that Jesus and his disciples, after they had sung a hymn, went out. Paul and Silas in Acts 16 prayed and sang praises unto God. Amen. What a great story that is. In Hebrews 2 and 12, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And in the Bible, there were people who were giving praise to God and with their voice they actually were laughing. Now I know people and I've heard about a holy laugh. But Sarah, when she had her baby, now when she found out she kind of laughed like, (laughs) and God said, why are you laughing? Oh, I'm not laughing. Oh, yes, you were laughing. But Isaac, who when he's born, his name means laughter. Amen? And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. I guess that's where that came from. We're not laughing at you. We're laughing with you. Sarah, 90 years old, just had a baby. That's something to laugh about. Psalm 126, when the Lord turned the captivity of Zion, they said we were like in the dream. This this can't be true. Then was our mouth filled with laughter, and our tongue was singing, and said among the the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. The heathen said that, and then they said, then we said, the Lord has done great things for us. In Job's story, the Bible's talked about you know, the trouble in a person's life till he feel, fill thy mouth with laughing. And Jesus told the disciples in Luke 6.21, Blessed are you that hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you that weep now, for you shall laugh. That is a promise that whatever you're going through in a dark night, you know, weeping may endure for a, a, the night, but joy cometh in the morning. Seven Times the psalmist says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, or it's equivalent. And when you laugh, when you shout, when you sing, when you talk about the Lord, those vocal, talking, speech-filled praises matter to God. Amen? We should praise the Lord. And even we praise the Lord often in the Spirit. In Philippians, Paul said, That we are the true Jews, we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. John said in Revelation, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And when you speak in an unknown tongue, you edify yourself. I love what Colossians chapter 3 said, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and in hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. 
And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. So you can sing spiritual songs. Amen. It's happened to some of you when you were worshiping the Lord and you began to sing in a language you never learned, in other tongues as the Spirit gave you the utterance. That's one way to praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for clapping your hands because that's the next instrument. Our hands can be lifted to the Lord. Psalm 28, 2, I lift up my hands toward thy oracle. Psalm 63, I lift up my hands in thy name. Psalm 134, lift up your hands in the sanctuary. When Solomon building the altar, 1 Kings 8, 22, he spread his hands toward heaven as he prayed. Paul said, I would that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So we lift our hands in the presence of the Lord. It is a form of worship to God. And when we rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, we do it with our voice, amen? We do it with our hands. We can clap our hands, right? Psalm 47, 1. Oh, clap your hands, oh, you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. And there are, there's imagery in the Bible of the floods, the waters clapping their hands, and the hills being joyful together, and the fields clapping their hand in Isaiah 55. But more than anything, if we have the ability, we should praise the Lord with our voice and with our hands. Now, not everybody has the use of their voice or their hands or their feet, but if we do, our parts of our body should be used to glorify God. What about your feet? Some of you think you get to use your feet too much in church. Psalm 26, 12, My foot standeth in an even place. In the congregation I will bless the Lord. Psalm 26, my, excuse me, Psalm 134, Be, bless, Behold, bless ye the servant, excuse me, we'll rewind that and start it over. Psalm 134, 1, Behold, bless you the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of the Lord. Psalm 135, 1 through 3. Praise you the Lord. Praise you the name of the Lord. Praise Him, O ye servants of the Lord, ye that stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises unto His name, for it is pleasant. It's enjoyable to stand and praise the Lord. And then there are instances in the Bible of running and leaping. Now I know this is not the context when David said in Psalm 18, for by thee I have run through a troop and leaped over a wall. I think he was kind of talking about a special ops operation he was on, you know, special ops. So, But he did that. In Acts 3, we have a lame man who is healed and he is leaping and walking and praising God. And the people saw him walking and leaping and praising God going into the temple. Jesus and his disciples, he told them to leap for joy for great. For behold, your reward is in heaven. So demonstrative worship 
is in order. Now I'm going to just admit that I cannot jump nearly as high as, high as I used to jump. I know I'm about the same height as an old basketball player, Spud Webb, who had a 36-inch vertical jump. I never have, and from now on, I never will. And we have precious elders and people who are infirm that can't, you know, maybe get their feet off the ground. That's why we need everybody who can to help us out a little bit. Amen? And praise the Lord with all of your might. Dancing is mentioned as a form of worship. When people are excited or happy, often they dance. We know that dancing is a form of entertainment in the world, and that's why we reserve our dancing before the Lord. I don't like to tell a lot of Lincoln, you know, our grandson stories, because you could do that all day, and every grandparent could. Then you would rush me for the mic, and so I'm not going to do that. But I just want to make this observation that nobody has to give Lincoln dance lessons. This little boy, when he's excited, he's just going to jump and dance and do a jig, and almost every little child that ever got excited did. But something happens to us as we get too much responsibility and too serious. We lose our song, and we lose our dance, and we lose the joy of the Lord in our life. Maybe we're too sophisticated, too intellectual, too spiritually mature. That's a bunch of baloney. You know, that you're too spiritually mature to dance before the Lord. Amen. I appreciate the work of Brother Erickson. He wrote a book on Pentecostal worship. But the word karar, it means to dance or to whirl before the Lord. When David and them did this, playing before the Lord with instruments that they made of fir, wood, of harps, or cedar. And rakad means to stamp, to spring about wildly, or for joy, to dance, to jump, or to skip. That's what, you know, the reason that we bring out this original language is because there's a little more there than just dance. What kind of a dance was this? What was really going on? This is when David is going to the, from the house of Obed-Edom, and they have singers and a song and instruments and shouting. And there's a cornet, trumpet, cymbals, making noise with psaltery and harp. And they had the Ark of the Covenant. And there was, remember, David dancing and playing. That's when his wife, Michael, despised him in her heart. So David, is, I don't know if he's got a saxophone or a flute, or he's carrying his harp, but he is playing an instrument and dancing before the Lord. The word Macau or Macola refers to different kind of dancing in a company in South Africa. When they worship, they kind of get in a circle and they just all dance kind of together as a congregation. It kind of breaks down the inhibitions a little bit when you people dance like that. And we've got some wonderful African descendants in our church who ought to help us out one day like that. Amen? Miriam grabbed the tambourine. And with other women began to dance. And she sang, she said, sing because the Lord has triumphed gloriously. Miriam sang to the Lord and they danced before the Lord with timbrels in their hand. So it's all right to praise the Lord with dancing before Him. Amen. Amen. Psalm 149. 
Praise you the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song. Should I say it? It's all right to sing some new songs. I remember most of the old songs that people older than me know. I love songs out of the hymnal. But it is okay to sing unto the Lord a new song. And here's what to me is important about that phrase. Is that when you sing and when you praise and when you worship, too often we get stuck in a rut. And we say the same words in praise. We got the same little whatever your move is. It's like this for some people, you know. Like whatever way you worship God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. That's about, you know, all you get. But anyway, whatever that is, is there should be a freshness about your worship. If he's done something for you lately and you're a songwriter, write a new song about it. That's what happened in the Bible. And sing it to the Lord. Let Israel rejoice in him that made him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with timbrel and harp. Psalm 150 is the same thing. These praise psalms. Amen. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with strings, instruments and organs. And then we praise him with our voice and talking and shouting and singing, we praise Him with our hands by clapping, by raising our hands to the Lord. We praise Him with our feet by running, by walking, by leaping, by dancing. We praise Him in the Bible with, our, with bowing and kneeling with our whole body. And Paul said in Ephesians 3, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 95, verse 6, Oh come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Uh, in all of this demonstration and praise, there are times when it, when it moves past this amazing celebration, maybe into that holy place where there may be less motion and it is so sacred. I remember being in a church service in Houston, Texas, my first summer after my first year of Bible college, or the summer after my first year of Bible college. And we're standing on the front row, it would, would have been on this side of the church. They were in revival. And the power of God was so pow- strong in there that I just, I just kind of went to my knees. And then I got a little self-conscious and I looked over and all these guys down my row were all on their knees. I don't know that anybody, you know, looked at one another. It was just kind of like it was a moment so sacred that you just had to go to your knee in praise to the Lord. When Isaac's servant found Rebecca that she was going to be her master's wife, he bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of his master, Abraham. At the coronation of Solomon, the Bible said that they offered sacrifices and they bowed down before the Lord. I love what Daniel did in Daniel chapter 6. When the king signed the decree that it was illegal to worship Jehovah God, the Bible said Daniel knew that the writing was signed. He went into his house. He opened the windows like he did every day, three times a day, in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did before time or before it became illegal. So Daniel did not change his practice of prayer and worship when it became illegal. 
Let me just say something. There are some things that can become illegal in our country. I am worried about it. I am upset about it. I am concerned about the robbing of religious freedom in our country from businesses and it will eventually bleed to churches. But if it becomes illegal to shout or dance or praise God, go in your house, open your windows, whatever you did before God, before time, do it again. And don't change your worship before God. Amen. You say, well, yeah, but if if they kill me, I'm no good. Yeah, but if they throw you in a lion's den and they can't kill you, then look how God will be exalted and will use you in an even greater way. Because if you try to figure it out or rationalize it, you'll talk yourself out of obeying God. Matthew 17, a man possessed... But the devil came kneeling down. His son was possessed with the devil. Came, kneel, comes kneeling down to Jesus. Another example is in the Bible. Uh, the Bible speaks about falling down before the Lord. You know, the wise men. Can you imagine these dignified intellectuals who were very wealthy coming in before the Christ child and bowing down before him. Jairus comes in and bows before the Lord. The man with the leprosy in Luke 5 falls on his face before the Lord. When you kind of get over yourself, it really doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. And if your need is greater than your pride, then you get over your pride because you want God to supply your need. Amen? There's a Hebrew word, samak, that means spontaneous emotion of extreme happiness. Expressed in some visible manners, used 150 times in the Old Testament. So in other words, if you're saved and you know it, say amen. amen. Rejoice in the Lord. Always. And again, he said, I say rejoice. And the Philippian Christians who heard Paul say all these times, 16 times is it, in 104 verses, 4 chapters. Joy, rejoicing, had a strong frame of reference because it was in the city of Philippi where Paul and Silas were preaching in Acts chapter 16 that the multitude rose up against them. The magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded Paul and Silas to be beat in Philippi. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. And he received such a charge and was so serious about it, he thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. This was at Philippi. But at midnight, you know, you know this. But at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And this is another sermon. And the prisoners heard them. This was in Philippi. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken, and all the doors were open, and every prisoner in the jails, prison bands, were loosed. So Paul, 
knew from personal experience that if you will praise God in your trouble, good things can happen for you. So no wonder he would write to them, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Amen. Brandon, if you don't mind to come, please, Brother Brandon and the worship team. I uh, was reading, searching, and I ran across something very interesting written by a non-apostolic Pentecostal in 1987. I want to, I want to read this to you because in my traveling the United Pentecostal Church, in my observation of our conferences and our special meetings, that sometimes I fear that we're becoming a pretty Pentecost. A little too sophisticated, refined, too many spectators. I'm all for excellence but I'm, and I'm all for being a professional, but not at the risk of not being spiritual. David Cartledge wrote this. Routine religion is a crime against humanity. It suggests that God is not with us, that His presence is an option to take or leave. Routine religion is a creation of carnal men uncomfortable with the manifestation of the glory of God. Structured religion, he said, much that passes for worship, is little more than a structured religious concert without the presence of the Lord being felt or responded to. Some saints seem to be afraid of praise, which pulsates with the power and presence of God, and yet are completely at home in cut and dried services. We can only wonder why. While many Pentecostal churches are throbbing with unrestrained life and joy, there are still some who promise more than they deliver. Ichabod churches where the glory has departed. Sardis churches who have a name that they live, but they are dead. He said, recently I was in America and Canada again. He's not from the States. Ministering in a number of congregations which have been renewed in worship and praise and have also exploded in growth. It is astonishing to see that frequently these churches are being persecuted and in some cases have been expelled from their Pentecostal denominations because of their praise. The battle that is developing over these issues is reminiscent of the trauma our fellowship, I don't know who he's connected to, but I think I know, went through 15 years ago. In exactly the same way, the tide of worship is an irresistible force challenging the carnal structures of those who love routine religion. One of the major reasons for this reviving work of the Spirit is that there is a new generation of people who are fed up with the blessed quietness and want to see the glory of God among His people. For almost a generation, large sections of Pentecost have fallen into the trap that Peter Wagner, a a church growth consultant and expert, warned us of. He said it is the drive for respectability. And the history of this is that the Pentecostals, you know, we're the people from across the tracks. We're the people from Azusa Street. We're the people from all the poor folks. And, And Wagner warned Pentecostalism. 
That as we grow and become accepted and have doctors and theologians among us, that we can want the, we can want the applause and the approval of, of the other denominations who do not have the power of God. Wagner said this fraudulent fancy has emasculated formerly strong and viral churches and made an idol of structural structure, style, and sobriety. God's people became spectators of choir worship and paid performers instead of participants in exuberant, emotional, and stimulating Holy Ghost worship. For many churches, form has taken the place of fire. Reason has overruled revelation. Logic has superseded inspiration. And their routine religion has become merely a philosophy of life. I love what this guy said. Pentecost is meant to be explosive. Pentecost is meant to be explosive. But dry as dust religion has no place in Pentecost because its very origins and character, or excuse me, by its very origins and character, Pentecost is explosive. It was not some gentle zephyr which wafted into the upper room, but a rushing mighty wind. 120 speaking in tongues simultaneously, and the whole neighborhood was confused, thinking that these first Christians were drunk with new wine. So what I want to say to my brothers and sisters of Atlanta West, that we need to make sure that we are people who are passionate about Jesus Christ and from the depth of our souls, we worship Him. Would you stand with me? And my message tonight, my message tonight is not just something to say for this Wednesday night, but when I say rejoice in the Lord always and again, I say rejoice. If I stand by the pulpit and say that, I'm reminding you that this is to be a continuing power of the Holy Ghost, not just a month-long series of teaching. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice.